Okay, today is <laughs> June the 1st. Another month. Pardon me for just one moment, please. Thank you, Pete. Another one in the can. Okay, June the 1st, 2010. Let's see, do I have any announcements? Anything that I need to tell people? Okay. Let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the time You've given us to study it. Holy Spirit, who is our true teacher, our mentor, You've given us everything that we need in order to grow in grace and knowledge. And we thank You for that because we we recognize that without Your Word circulating in our stream of consciousness, we will be confused, afraid, miserable, and just a whole list of adjectives that are not so pleasant. But you are ever faithful and your grace is sufficient. So we pray that you will help us to concentrate and inculcate your word this evening. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Before we begin, I was going to give you some information on a, an event that was in the news. Probably most of you have heard about the incident that happened outside of Gaza um, with the uh, Muslims that were supposedly taking humanitarian aid to Gaza. Now, you remember that Gaza is taken over by Muslims now. That's not right. They, They weren't taken over. It wasn't taken over. It was given to the Muslims. In fact, the Israelis were their own government forced them out of Gaza and they turned it over to these uh, Muslims. And the first thing that they did was elect, essentially elect a terrorist government. And that set up a horrible scenario of events that could take place. And finally, it dawned on these Muslims that they could create a media frenzy and gain political ground by taking what's supposed to be under the pretext of humanitarian aid to Gaza. Of course, they're not going to trek through Israel. There's no way they can get through there. But they thought, well, we'll just come by sea and we will take this so-called aid to our Muslim brothers there. And, of course, you know that Israel is not going to let ships just come right into Gaza and unload without them being able to at least inspect what the cargo is because it very well could be rockets and bombs and all that type of thing. So when this convoy of, I think it was six ships, were on their way to uh, Gaza, the Israeli Navy 
stopped them and said, look, we'll take you to one of the Israeli ports. We'll unload the cargo and take it to Gaza. And, of course, they refused. They said, no, we're going to take it straight to Gaza. The whole thing was a ploy to try to garner support and sympathy from the whole world opinion. And so, as you probably have heard, uh, they were not going to stop, so the Israelis sent helicopters with um, uh, soldiers that dropped down on ropes to board the ships. Well, when they did, there was a, a, a fight ensued, and there were nine people that were killed. Uh, of course, lies were everywhere. They said that the Israelis came down shooting machine guns into unarmed people, which they have footage that perfectly shows that that's not true. The, the Israeli soldiers came down with both hands on the ropes as they uh, lowered themselves down onto the ships. It's kind of hard to be shooting weapons when you have both hands on the rope. When they got down to the ship, what they were calling peace activists had steel bars that had been ground down and pointed on the end. And they had uh, clubs and uh, even some had rifles. And it showed the footage that I, showed, uh, that I saw showed them coming down, and as soon as they hit the deck, they were just surrounded, and they started beating them. Uh, but they're still being called peace activists. So Israel finally got it under control, and they prohibited them from going into Gaza, but at a great cost of world opinion. This was a no-win situation for Israel, because if they allowed the ships to come in, and, and told them, we don't want you coming, but they said, well, we're coming anyway. If Israel negotiated with them, the whole Muslim world would see that as a weakness to exploit. And they would have that to continue going on all the time. So they, they couldn't allow that. But on the other side of the coin, if they used force, which they used the most limited force they could, but still it erupted into some deaths, and now they have the whole world, world opinion against them. And it's even worse because three of the six ships were flying the flag of Turkey. Now, Turkey is a Muslim nation, but they have been somewhat uh, friendlier to Israel than the rest of the Muslim nations. Now, that's out the window. And also, the United States has found as of late that even though Turkey seems to be what they called a, a Muslim democracy, where there is no such thing, but uh, they, they thought that Turkey was friendlier to the United States and Israel than the other Muslim countries. But now they're finding out that that was not so at all. In fact, it was Turkey who probably orchestrated this whole thing. They want to be seen as the movers and shakers in the Mideast. And so now that is out the window and what's happened is the media is presenting it as the poor Palestinians. This was aid for the Palestinians, and now the big bullies, Israel, is keeping this aid from going to them. And not only that, you have Israelis killing uh, and massacring the uh, Muslims that were just there to give uh, this humanitarian aid. This is a, a New York Post. Uh, article, and the name of it right here, big bold print, says Turkish bloodbath. 
And, of course, the whole thing is presented in such a way as to appeal to the sympathies of the world to turn toward the uh, Muslims. Here's one, uh, and here's a couple of sentences here. It says, the lead vessel, the Mavi Marmara, was the name of the lead vessel, just happened to have an Al Jazeera TV crew on board to film Israel's response. Ironically, the early video wouldn't have been, uh, would have been counterproductive had the world leaders and journalists not been programmed uh, to blame everything on Israel. And, of course, it goes on to talk about the um, Israeli commandos lowering themselves down onto the uh, ships. And uh, the la- this is the last thing that's said in the article. I'm not going to read it. I've pretty well given you the gist of it. It says, In yesterday's confrontation, Israel behaved clumsily. The peace activists behaved savagely. The Turks behaved cynically. And the world reacted predictably. This was the New York Post, dated uh, Tuesday, January, uh, June the 1st, 2010. Yeah, it, was the, uh, it was a little bit unclear, but it appears like, uh, that it was the uh, Muslims. Nine Muslims were killed. That's what it appears. The paper article, I was wondering the same thing, and I could not tell from this article. And on TV, I was listening carefully, and it sounded like it was uh, Muslims that were killed. But it clearly showed when the uh, command, Israeli commandos were lowered to the ships, you could see arms and flailing and weapon, you know, bars and, and all this uh, ha- uh, taking place. It, the whole thing was a trap. They knew that they could garner world opinion. Now, what's so important about world opinion is that if you don't know it by now, I'll tell you that nations do not function and they don't make decisions based on what's right or wrong. They base it on world opinion. They they curry world opinion that is going to be in favor of them. See, um, I'll back up just a little bit. When... Ariel Sharon was the one that was the lead in giving Gaza to the Muslims. And I was aghast when I heard that. I could not believe he would do it. But he did. And it was wrong. God says in the Bible, Cursed is anyone who divides my, my, uh, my land, Israel. And he had the army literally go in. Do you all remember that? Forcibly, by arms, removing his own people so that the, these Muslims could go in there. And even the, the Israelis left a lot of things behind that they could have used to have a nation that was prosperous and start from scratch. But they didn't do that. They weren't interested in that. They elected a uh, Hamas, which is a terrorist organization, and all they're interested in is lobbing um, missiles over into Israel and try to get sympathy from the world and say Israel is, is big bad bullies. And this whole thing was a trap. And I don't know, uh, it was not handled as good as it could have uh, by Israel. Of course, Israel had the power and they had the will to stop it from happening. They did it in such a way that now all the whole world is, is looking 
with disfavor on Israel, even more so than they usually are. The UN is going to have, uh, they're even talking about having sanctions against Israel over this incident. They say two more ships are on the way. Well, that, they're exploiting it, see. And surely our president, our nation, will probably uh, reprimand or take some kind of actions against Israel. These things are so, it, it is, it's a powder keg. It is so volatile over there. I, I think sometimes we get off on other things and we forget that Israel is the apple of God's eye. And they are completely surrounded by people who hate them that want only one thing, and that is their annihilation. And it is only the grace of God that keeps Israel from being removed. And the United States, and we continue to weaken and become more anti-Semitic with every passing day. That woe to anyone who curses Israel. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, Israel, and I will curse those who curse you. And that's an eternal admonishment there. It's not dispensational. And as, we're, as we will see that... Uh, I had a question, by the way, with the young people. They have some pretty good questions. And one of the young people asked me, do you think that the United States will ever go against Israel? I said, Absolutely. I'm not talking about politically. I'm talking about militarily. But the Bible says all nations will go against Israel. And if we're still a nation then, if we're, I don't know what will happen by uh, that time. I don't have a crystal ball. But I do know one thing. Israel will be alone. And if the United States is still a nation, we will attack Israel because the Bible says so. All nations are going to attack. But it's my belief that, or at least my hope, that before all that takes place, Jesus Christ is already going to take us home. I can't wait for that. And it can be very close. It could, of course, the imminency of the rapture, people can say it could have happened uh, ever since the first century. And, and that's true. However, it is also true that every day we get closer to the time when Christ is going to return to take us home. And when you start looking at all of the signs around us, you have to be nearly willfully ignorant and blind not to recognize how imminent it may be. In fact, when we, the, the nuclear genie is going to be let out of the bottle sometime, there is going to be nuclear warfare. The Bible describes it. Uh, people standing, while they're standing on their feet, their eyeballs are going to melt out of their sockets. Now, what does that sound like? That is the archaic biblical way of describing the, the aftermath of a nuclear explosion. People don't want to think about these things. It's not important to them. They've got their shopping list. They want to see whoever their team is on the TV to support that or their soap opera or whatever else. But we better wake up. We better start recognizing that time may be very short and better start acting accordingly. And because uh, I've told you before, most of you are here when I taught the Israel Regathered series. It's a, it is nothing short of a miracle that Israel is still in existence or even that they even came back. God said, He prophesied, I'm going to take my people from all over the world and I'm going to bring them back 
to His land, which He did. And you know what the Bible compares that to? The Exodus. In fact, the Bible says that that event really uh, shadows, overshadows the Exodus. That's how big a deal it is. And Israel is not going anywhere. God has protected them time after time after time. I'm talking about divine intervention. There's no way that this little uh, pipsqueak country could stand against the uh, hundreds of millions of the hordes that hate them, way outnumbered militarily. Tank. If I if I went in and told you what all uh, they stood against when they became a nation, you wouldn't believe it. And Israel has decidedly kicked everybody out that came in, and they have a right to the land that they that they have uh, won victory over. They didn't pick the fight, but when the fight came, because of God's grace, they uh, acquired much land, a lot more than they had to begin with. And in, in history, when one nation conquers another nation, it's understood it's their land. But now we hear it's all about these poor Palestinians who are in occupied territory, as if it's the Palestinians' land and Israel is uh, unlawfully occupying it. And the Arabs are claiming that Jerusalem is one of their holy cities. And not once in the Koran is Jerusalem even mentioned. How many times is it mentioned in the Bible? I'm trying not to get worked up. I didn't mean to go to this extent. And I could tell you a lot more. But we need to wake up because if you want to know what's happening in the world, if you want to know what God's timetable is and His agenda, look to Israel. He has promised unconditionally that He is going to give them uh, the covenants, all the things that He has promised. And part of that was the Palestinian covenant. It doesn't have anything to do with the Palestinians. You know, they act like Palestinians are a people. They're Arabs. They, they have no, no history at all. They came from Jordan. And when Israel won their independence, uh, they offered for all these Palestinians to go or they could stay. They gave them the freedom to do one or the other. The Arab countries would not let them back into their borders. They wanted them to be a burr under the saddle of Israel so they could continually foment all this revolt and keep the world turned against Israel. That's why that's, why that's happening. They could easily assimilate these Palestinians into their countries and their Arabs anyway. And yet they don't do it. And, and it's not that the Arabs don't have enough money. It's not that they can't afford to do so. And you have people here. So many people have fallen for the lies that the poor Palestinians on occupied uh, Israel's occupied territory and all the rest of it. Well, Israel is going to have all the land from the Mediterranean all the way to the Tigris and the Euphrates and all the way down from the Nile, all the way up, way past the Golden Heights. is going to be all Israel. And their true king, the Lord Jesus Christ, is coming back and He will rule from Jerusalem with a rod of iron. And we will be there to see it. Some of us will be there to help Him rule. And it all depends on uh, your attitude towards the Word. Uh, I know that I'm speaking to the choir here. I mean, you're here. You've got it. And the people who need to be hearing this, well, they're not. But we can't be, you know, that between them and the Lord. We just have to keep on with our knitting. And this seems like a little small event. 
But a little small event can blow up into something huge. And Israel better get it together because they're losing the propaganda war. It's, it, the, the Arabs are being successful in turning world opinion against the Jews with their lies and their duplicity, but the world is eager to accept those type of lies anyway. So you might keep looking out. We don't know what Turkey's going to do now. Turkey has pulled the wool over our eyes so many times. Uh, they said we could go, go through, their, uh, through their country in order to get to Iraq until it came time to do it. Now, oh, no, you can't come now. You can't go through there. They're turning more and more towards Sharia law. They're becoming more and more aggressive as Muslims. And you don't hear any of this in our country. The news is full of Paris Hilton and uh, whatever team is doing whatever, and the people are asleep at the wheel. And they don't know what's going on. But when it comes to Israel, you better pay attention because that's where uh, you can see God moving and what's going to happen. Pete, did you have something? Yeah, I know Krauthammer, yeah. That report probably won't ever see the light of day past what you've heard it because those are the ones that are suppressed. Al Jazeera had a TV crew on the lead ship. Now, that should say something to you. I mean, uh, this, was, this was set. It was a trap. Well, they had to make a scene. That's the whole point. They were there. But actually, I, I read, I've been doing some reading on this, and uh, Israel, in order to acquire the land that they have now, use world opinion to do it. They're smart. They know that this is really important. And right after World War II, people were still had the memories of the Jews coming out of Hitler death camps. And you had uh, Great Britain had the mandate of what was called Palestine then, and they had a very low number of uh, immigrants, Jewish immigrants, that could enter the land. So what Israel did, now listen how close this is to what the Muslims did. Uh, anybody that was going, tried to get into Israel illegally were put over on Cyprus in a camp. Now you can imagine right after World War II, how popular that was, taking the Jews that just got out of Hitler camps, the death camps, and they couldn't go into Israel. If they were caught, they were put in a camp in Cyprus. And so they took a bunch of women and children and put them on a boat. It was called the Exodus. And they tried to get into uh, Israel, and uh, Great Britain refused their entry, and they used it to the max to turn world opinion against Great Britain very successfully. And finally, Great Britain had to wash their hands in it with the whole mandate. It was turned over to the U.N. 
and you in offered this piece of land to Israel and a piece of land to the Arabs. And they said, we'll just settle this deal. We'll cut it. It wasn't down the middle. The Arabs had a lot more land than the Jews, but the Jews said, we'll take it. And the Arabs said, no way. We want it all. And Israel took it. They declared their independence. And the next day they were uh, invaded. They were attacked by five uh, Arab nations. People don't know their history. They don't know what goes on. They sit there like a fool and call it occupied territory. This is... This is Israel's land more than any other reason because God gave it to them. Yes. That's, that's where it comes from. Now, I don't know how accurate the movie is, but the whole point I was telling you that is so you would understand how important world opinion is because that's why government makes decisions. They're not going to go against the will of the people most of the time when their blood is up. They're going to go with whatever the, the, the idea is. And, of course, this one, the, the, if Mike, you're right, there's more uh, ships coming. That does not bode well. Israel better get some plan in, in place to where they uh, won't be uh, scorned by the entire world. They can't afford that. They can't afford to be completely isolated. We are their number one support. And probably one, one of the... Uh, few reasons why we are still afloat as a nation today is because historically we have been neighbor, uh, the uh, best friend of Israel, but that has been eroding more and more as far as we need oil and have catered and uh, caved in to the Arab demands. Yes. Mm-hmm. What was the name of it again? From Time Immemorial is a good book. Okay, by Joan Peters. Okay, well, let's get on with our... Unless anybody else has anything to say, well, I'll, I'll press on. I just thought I would uh, address that while it was still fresh in people's minds. And we still don't know what's going to happen. I mean, we've got a very tenuous situation in Israel, and now we have a... a in the Gulf, we have this pipe spewing out. What did, how many um, millions of gallons did it say? Did someone hear? It, I mean, it's in, it, isn't it in the hundreds of millions already? It, it's a lot of oil. <laughs> and they still don't even know uh, what to do about it. And uh, Okay, we'll do it. Let's all bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we recognize that you're a God of righteousness and justice. And you chose a people many years ago, a special people, in order to give your word and the gospel message out. And we recognize that they have failed, but we all have failed. But we know that they are special to you and they are under great attack and have been for quite a while. So we pray for the leaders that you will give them discernment, that you will give them the, the absolute best plan that they could have 
in order to thwart these uh, evil intentions of these countries that want to uh, just obliterate them. We know that you will protect them, and we also know uh, from your word, eschatology, that uh, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is going to rule from Jerusalem. But there's a lot of things that have to take place before then. And we are admonished by you. We are, we are told to pray for the Jews, and so that's what we do now. We pray not only for their uh, survival physically, but we pray for their salvation eternally. We pray that they will recognize that Jesus Christ is their Messiah and that they will turn to the Lord and be saved. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. First Thessalonians chapter 3. We went over verse 9 and 10. This is Paul giving thanks for the Thessalonian believers that he came to be very close to. Look at verse 10. It says, as we... Oh, you don't, you don't see it up there, do you? I need to put it up there. Well, you can... Be, we do have Bibles. You can look in your Bibles. <laughs> here it is up here. Uh, verse 10, and uh, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Uh, the whole idea there is that there were some holes in their doctrine because uh, they were not able to receive the, the complete teaching because Paul had to leave. His very life was in danger. And that's what they were praying for. They were not praying for anything less than the most important thing, and that was uh, that they could, uh, uh, they wanted to see them, their face and make sure that uh, what was lacking in their faith uh, could be supported, thus be shored up. That was what was in their mind. And so we drop down here, and we have a few other. Uh, did, did we go over these already, uh, these verses? Do you all remember? Uh, Philippians 2.13. For it is... Y'all don't remember them. Okay, well, I was... We did? Okay. What? Yeah, okay. Well, what I want to... There's two things I want to point out here. One is uh, praying night and day. You know, sometimes we get in a... You know, I guess that you could say a prayer rut... Some people think, well, I'll pray when I go to bed at night. Um, most people who are believers, the last thing they do before they go to sleep is pray. And some people get in the, in, into a rut to where that's the only time they pray. But I just want to point out, he said night and day he was praying for their fellow believers. I think a good idea, and what I try to do, try to remember, and I'm not always successful at it by any means, but during the course of the day when I think of someone, whoever it may be, especially if there's a need, if they're going through something, instead of just thinking about it, why not pray about it? Why not just ask the Lord? You don't even have to do it audibly. You can, God read your thoughts, so you can just say, 
uh, be with so-and-so as they go through this whatever encounter it may be, whatever is on their plate, just say a prayer for them. And boom, it's done. Later on in the day, if they come to your mind again, pray it again. That's, you cannot over-pray. You cannot pray too much. And sometimes we think about people, and this is another thing. I don't know why I, I, it just came to my mind right now. Anytime that you think something about someone else that is good, in other words, it might be they have a pretty dress, they have new earrings, uh, they look nice, or they, you've noticed that they were kind to someone else. You like their posture. It doesn't matter what it is. Whenever you think it, you ought to tell them. It's, it's like we, we think in our own minds, well, they kind of know it by mental telepathy or something. We all need encouragement. That might be the only thing that they hear that day that is encouragement to them. It might be for some people the only thing they've heard in a long time that somebody took note of something that was commendable on their part, and you don't know how much mileage that might get. And it's the same thing with prayer. Anything that's good, say it. Too often we're just the opposite. Anything that we see that we can criticize, we're quick to speak about that. But when we think of something that is pleasant, something is nice, something that is uplifting, encouraging. Well, you know, we just, well, I thought, I thought that, and that's all that counts. Prayer and compliments should be done often and verbally. The, the prayer doesn't have to be, but the compliment should. I just thought I'd throw that out there, because here we have an example, example of the Apostle Paul praying night and day. And none of us, are as busy as the Apostle Paul was. And if he had time to do it, we have time to do it. And I'm, there's a mirror up there so I can, on the back wall, that I can see this. But I can see the top of my shiny head and I'm talking to myself also in that mirror. Okay? So don't think I'm just preaching at you. I'm preaching at myself also. And also he's talking about the joy. He has inner joy from uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit, thinking divine viewpoint, and the outward expression of inner joy. I think I went into that last time, and you all probably remember that. Um, verse 10, I think we, did, we went over that, right? Does, what? Right here? Okay. I thought you said we went over verse 10. Well, I'm going over verse 10 right now, aren't I? Okay. Forget about the verse numbers. Let's just look at what it is. That's how good I am with numbers. I have to just say, forget the numbers. Let's just go over the top. Paul emphasizes the absolute necessity of prayer. He wanted to see them face to face once again because he loved them and also because he wanted to impart more doctrine to strengthen them enough to continue facing the challenges ahead. Would you all all agree that we have challenges ahead? I'm talking about not only collectively, but personally. I know you do, and I know I do. So it behooves us to keep on learning. That's what this next part is about. This verse underscores the need to keep uh, on learning Bible doctrine. These believers had learned doctrine and were applying it, but Paul recognized that there were gaps or holes Satan would certainly try to exploit. And you have them too. And I have them also. 
And there are doctrines that some of you have learned and you used to be able to teach them and now you can't even remember them. That's a hole. So we have to keep plugging, keep on. It's like having a dam and you have you see a little water trickling down over here. You go in there, boop, put your finger in that, next thing you see it over here. If it's further than six feet away, you're in trouble. <laughs> That's not a good analogy. Forget that one. People suffer for lack of knowledge. Where do we know that? Hosea chapter 4, my people perish for lack of knowledge. What you don't know can hurt you. I'll say that again. What you don't know can hurt you. The more doctrine you know, the less vulnerable and more discerning you'll be when you hear the lies and deception you run into every day. And I talk to people all the time. There are so many false doctrines. You remember, what was it, a couple of months ago or so, I don't know, I lose track of time, when I had those false doctrines, all the issues that you could be challenged with. Remember, it was a long list, and I just scrolled down and down and down, that whole long list. I don't know how many there were, but there was probably at least 50 or more. And that's not all of them. That's just the short list. And we have to be ready to be able to rebut every one of them because we don't know who we're going to run into. I talk to people every single day that have another weirdo idea. Uh, We need to be uh, observing the Passover. What? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a big movement now. A lot of people are into that. Christians. And they try to explain it away. And all I, the first thing I say, well, you know, we're not under the Mosaic Law. We're not commanded to do that. We have another doctrine, the doctrine, the mystery doctrines they're called. And, I, and people just roll their eyes and they think. So we have to be ready. And the discernment, if you have that in your notes or you see it here, let's see if I can work this thing here. See that right there? Discerning. The more discerning you'll be, the less vulnerable you'll be to all the lies and deception out there. The job of every uh, Bible communicator we have right here, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, the equipping of the saints for the work of service, this is my job, is to equip you, the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge, and by the way, that epignosis knowledge, full knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness, pleroma, fullness of Christ. Now, that's my job as a communicator is to prepare you for spiritual combat because you're in it every day. But you know what? You don't have to have the spiritual gift of pastor-teacher to be a communicator of doctrine. In fact, you should be doing it every single day. You should be looking for opportunities. People should be just coming in hordes to your house or on your phone or your email because they know that you, you know something that they don't know. You know doctrine and they don't. You have the solutions and the answers and they don't. You should have a reputation for that. 
that when someone comes to you with a problem, you don't know, I don't know, go ask the preacher, go, you know, whatever. No. You are spiritually self-sufficient. You have learned these things for yourself well enough so that you can communicate them to others in your own words and you can take them into the Scriptures and show them by backing it up with Scripture. That's a tall order, isn't it? But that's what's required of us. The Bible requires it of us. So it's not just the pastor that has to be ready to communicate this. Congregation needs to also... You're not just here to learn. You're here to learn, but not just to satisfy your own quest for knowledge. And there should be a quest. You should want to get more and more doctrine so that you can get more and more grace. That's how you get more grace, by the way, is getting more doctrine. The more that you can handle the Word of God, the more that you can put the pieces together, the more grace God is going to give you. But that includes imparting that knowledge to others. When was the last time someone called you about a marital problem? Were you able to handle it? Were you able to go to the Scriptures? Or what if it was something about a doctrinal issue? What if it was something about baptism? What if somebody had an issue about baptism? Are you able to explain that one? Explain the seven different types of baptisms, the difference between a real baptism and a ritual baptism? Are you able to explain to them that there is a spiritual baptism that happens to every believer the moment he accepts Jesus Christ? And that baptism is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where we are intimately united to Jesus Christ forever and nothing can change that. That's why you're in Christ. That's why you're royal family. Are you ready and able to explain all these things? Or what if somebody comes to you and they say now they just found out that they can speak in tongues? What are you going to do about that? You don't know where the attack is going to come. You have to be so well grounded in the Word that you can. it doesn't matter. You can just say, okay, if it's tongues, let's go to Romans. I mean, uh, we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Right in the middle of the love chapter. Everybody hears it at every wedding nearly. Love is wonderful. But then when they get down there around verse 12 or 13, they just kind of fade out because then it starts talking about spiritual gifts that were temporary and they end. It says that the gifts of knowledge and the gifts of tongue will end. They will cease. When? Well, when the perfect comes. What's the perfect? Oh, the perfect is Jesus Christ. So tongues is going to last until Jesus Christ returns. That's what a lot of people think. Can you refute that? I was talking to a guy last week that did just exactly that. And, you know, I guess I'm going to finish that. That word there, when the, when the perfect comes, is in the neuter gender. It cannot refer to Jesus Christ. It's impossible. The word is teleos in the Greek. And it's referring to the completed canon of Scripture. Those temporary gifts were only functioning until the completed canon of Scripture came. That's why they were there, to fill in the gap until the Word was finished. They are no longer needed. They went out in 70 A.D. I mean, I could go on and on. And at the time being, what we're looking at is, is, is Thessalonians, and we're seeing... Uh, uh, unusual. First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians are unusual because we are seeing an affectionate side of Paul that you don't see. You don't see this in Galatians. 
He is ripping them to pieces. You stupid Galatians. How could you be that stupid? You see, Ned doesn't really say that. Yes, it does. I could take you there right now and show you where he's calling them, you stupid Galatians. I can't believe you're such idiots. What would happen if a pastor said that today? Well, he'd be talking to himself. They all get up in a huff and leave. Well, I'll get off my soapbox and just get back here. Verse 11. Now, many of our, uh, excuse me, now may our God and Father Himself, Jesus our Lord, direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, just as we also for you so that He may establish your hearts unblameable, holy before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. That is all one sentence. So, Paul, this is actually, you know what this is? This is a benediction. What chapter are we in? Three? How many chapters does it have? Five. Five chapters. you got two more chapters to go and we'll get a benediction. What's the deal? Well, first of all, what's the benediction? Here's the benediction. The definition of a benediction is the invocation of a blessing, especially the short blessing which public worship is concluded. At the end of our services, we have a benediction. I always just close in prayer. I think that's the proper and right thing to do. And, but I do it at the end of the service. Well, He's not done yet, and He's given a benediction. It, 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 that's what it appears. So uh, let's sort this thing out. What is He talking about? First phrase here, Now may our God and Father Himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. Paul includes both God the Father and the Lord Jesus in his request, but the verb direct is singular. What does that suggest, Vidal? The Trinity. Huh? I say Vidal because he's going to be teaching us about the Trinity sometime this year, I hope. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I had to get that in. Um, <laughs> See, these little things can can uh, uh, you can miss if you just teach it from the English, but uh, the verb direct is singular and it has to uh, normally it would have to agree with, uh, you've got two here, you've got the Father and the Son, and normally that would be the plural. But this is not incorrect grammar because it is speaking of the Trinity. That's why it's in the singular, not the plural. So this is a strong statement by Paul that Jesus Christ is God equal to the Father. So in your Bibles, if you underline the word direct, and you put FG there, and in your margin, you write Trinity. That will prompt you so that next time you're in this, in this part of Scripture, you'll recognize that Paul just gave a, a big uh, doctrine right here, and most people will read right by it and miss it because they don't know that that is in the singular. Verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. Now, the word increase and abound are in the optative mood. How about that one, huh? 
We don't come across the optative mood very much, but we have two of them right here. This means that the writer wants to portray an action as possible or he wishes to express a wish or a desire. So the optative mood means it's a desire on the part of the writer. And there's not many of them. Probably, I don't know what percentage it might be. It might be only 5% of the time you see the optative mood as compared to the other moods. You know, the imperative mood, the indicative mood, and so forth. Now, he is not saying, God bless you. That is a command, and only God has the prerogative to bless or to curse. It is much better to do what Paul did by expressing his desire that God would bless them by their increased love for others. Most Christians that I know of that do not go to doctrinal churches say God bless you a dozen times a day. I mean, every time they leave, they say God bless you. And somebody might say, well, God bless you. And they both feel good about it. And it's fine, you know. But technically speaking, we don't have the right to call down blessings from God on anyone. We cannot command God to bless you or you or anyone else. That is not our prerogative. In fact, I think it's a bit audacious. It's a bit nervy to do that. It is completely legitimate, though, to say it is my desire that God blesses you. See the difference? And that's what Paul is doing. There's a good, uh, maybe I should even say a great uh, Bible teacher. I listen to him all the time. Uh, I know, Pete, you'll probably remember who his name is. I can't ever remember his name. Uh, he's on the radio. J. Vernon McGee. Yeah, J. Vernon McGee. May I say? <laughs> May I tell you? <laughs> he says a lot when he's teaching. A great Bible teaching. And every time when he closes, he say, May the Lord bless you until next time, brothers, and I'll see you or whatever. But he always says, may the Lord bless you. See, he's doing the same thing that Paul is doing. Optative mood. It's his desire that this would happen. But we don't have the authority to call down blessings from anyone. That's why you don't hear me go around saying, God bless you all the time. Because really, I think that is outside the protocol that God has set for us. It's somewhat presumptuous to think, that I can say, God bless you. I don't know what, you might be carnal as a, I don't know, I don't know what I want to compare with uh, something as carnal, but let's just say you may be very carnal. You may be a reversionist. You may be just right for divine discipline. And if I say, God bless you, in reality, is God going to say, oh, well, he said, God bless you. I better bless him. Is that going to happen? We need to be real in what we say and what we do. And that can very easily just become meaningless, which I think it has. Just for people, well, God bless you. Well, God bless you. And I, well, let's go. Just God bless all of us. It's tantamount to when people, I used to do this. I didn't know any better. When I would pray, I nearly every time would end my prayer. And God, forgive us of our sins. Well, what was that? It was a generality that meant nothing. The same as just saying, well, God bless you. It sounds good, 
but I don't care what sounds good. I, I care about what is pleasing to God. He has given us a protocol to follow in prayer and what we say. And I have no authority to call down blessings on anyone. They have no more authority to call blessings down on someone than they would by calling a curse down on them. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, God curse you? It's just, we don't have... That is God's business, not ours. Now, we can perfectly say, you know, I just have, I'm just so fond of you. It, it's just my desire that God blesses you greatly. Totally fine. You say, well, you're, you're uh, splitting hairs. Maybe so, but sometimes the Bible does just that. If, we, we need, if we're going to do the right thing in the right way, why don't we do it? And quit trying to say all this generalities that doesn't mean anything, make everybody feel good about each other, and may be offensive to God. It's not like I'm on my soapbox tonight. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, let's see. So, that is a command, and only God has the prerogative to bless or to curse. Much better to do what Paul did by expressing his desire that God would bless them by their increased love for others. So see, that optative mood there is very important. It shows that it is his desire that this happens. In fact, I don't know, I haven't done a word search on this, but I don't think that I remember where they're parting and, and uh, calling down blessings, God bless you, anywhere. Maybe I need to, maybe Michael or Vidal or Ty, if he hears this, can do that to see if, there's, if that's ever done. Uh, here we have the Apostle Paul, and he's not doing it. He's using the optative mood, optimistic mood and saying it's his desire to do it. So I think I will end this Bible class by saying it is my desire that God blesses you all richly. And I really mean that. Let's close. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. What would we do without it? What would we do without our Lord Jesus Christ and Your perfect plan? Help us to keep our divine perspective very clear. We pray that You will help us to have these doctrines so clear and fresh in our souls that when we hear others who are confused or trying to foist false doctrines on us, that we will use Your Word as our shield and be able to be used by You to be a light in this very dark place that we call earth. Thank you for your grace. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.